Amen. So like I said, we're going back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. We're going to be in, uh, starting in verse 12, so 12, 12. Um, and if you guys were here with us last night, we kind of got into this section concerning the spiritual gifts. And we'll continue on with that this morning. But before we do, I want you guys to step back in time with me to the year 2004. The year 2004, Kevin Miranda is a sophomore in college at Framingham State. One year prior, um, I had had my heart broken by Aaron Boone of the Yankees, who hit a home run over the Green Monster and ended the Red Sox season. But now it's October again, and the Red Sox are down three games to none, and it's not looking good. Or as my buddy artist would say, it's looking slow. It's looking slow. It's not looking good for the Red Sox. And it's the bottom of the ninth, down by one, and in comes this pinch runner by the name of Dave Roberts, who, I mean, he's a good player, but up until that point, you're like, Dave Roberts? First pitch from Mariano Rivera, the greatest closer in Yankee history. First pitch from Mariano Rivera, Dave Roberts takes off, steals second base, putting him in scoring position. Whoa, I'm under the, literally, I'm under my desk in my dorm room at this point, yelling, what are you doing to me? He's on second base, just a couple pitches later, a couple pitches later, a guy by the name of Billy Miller lines a single into the outfield. Dave Roberts scores, ties the game up. Unbelievable. I'm having palpitations. I'm losing my mind. And then a couple hours later in extra innings, Big Poppy crushes one into the dugouts. Game over. See you tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, guess what? Poppy does it again, lines a single, wins the game in like the 14th inning at 2 o'clock in the morning again. We're losing our mind. The entire city explodes. Like, and, and the Red Sox go in to come back from an 0-3 deficit to sweep the Yankees, essentially, and then go into the World Series, actually sweep St. Louis, and win the first World Series in 86 years. Now, here's the thing. Had David Ortiz stepped up and said, I got this, guys. Let me pinch run. I would not have had the same feeling that I had when, when Dave Roberts made himself a legend in the city of Boston, never ever has to pay for a drink ever again in the city because he stole one base. I wouldn't have felt that comfortable had that been David Ortiz in the dugout like, guys, I got a crazy idea. How about I steal second base? Like nobody would think that. And I wouldn't have been as confident had Dave Roberts been up to the plate to swing. I mean, he's a good player, like I said, but he's not David Ortiz. Like, David Ortiz's job was hitting home runs. Like, he didn't even play the field. Like, he just hit the ball hard in clutch situations, and he was the best ever at it. And he owned that. And so, like, like you know who pitched in, in the, the game seven against the Yankees? There was a guy by the name of Derek Lowe, and, and long story, but he pitched lights out. But Derek Lowe, like, pitchers don't, he wouldn't have spent as much time at batting practice. I actually saw him one time at, at a place I used to work with with batting cages. He could crush the ball in the batting cage. But he didn't spend as much time in the batting cages as he did in the dugout warming up his arm because he's a pitcher. And so he's playing to his strength. He's, I'm a pitcher. I'm not going to hit the ball as much as, as much as I throw the ball. So let me work. So let's switch sports and go Belichickian, Bill Belichickian on you, and just say, do your job. Do your job. That's, that's, what, that's what God is saying this morning. 
in, in, in a weird way. So what we get into here this morning, like the 2004 Red Sox, God has intentionally crafted you. He has intentionally designed you. He has intentionally and carefully placed you when and where you are with the purpose of using the giftings that he has given you to accomplish the mission that he has given his church, which is to make disciples and build the kingdom. And, and in order to do that, Paul uses, in order to explain that, the Apostle Paul here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he uses this brilliant analogy of the body. And so read with me, if you will, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It'll be on the screen behind me here also, if you have your phone or app or whatever, or, or there are Bibles around the room. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 12, but I think I'm actually going to back up to um, verse 11 real quick just to kind of give us context. So, so verse 11 says, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Moving on to verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were made to drink of one spirit. Made to drink of one spirit. Now I'm going to take this highly theological on you guys right now, so stick with me, okay? Don't be intimidated. We're about to talk about Tinkerbell. High theology. Okay, so I have a, I have a six-year-old little girl, and, and she's big into Tinkerbell, not as much as she used to be, unfortunately, because I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I haven't seen any of the new Star Wars movies. I haven't seen anything that has come out at the box office in, like, the last six years, essentially. But I've seen all the Tinkerbell movies, and I've read the books. And I'm not going to lie to you, like, I enjoy it. It's kind, of, it's kind of shameful. Like, we were watching this one Tinkerbell movie one time, and like right at the very beginning, she sees this other fairy, and she goes, oh, that's my sister. And I was like, whoa, hold on. I missed something. We gotta go back and watch this other movie and find out what just happened here. Like, this is, anyway, sorry. I'm just letting it out. There's no shame here. I like Tinkerbell movies. Anyway, um, but in the Tinkerbell world, okay, each of these fairies, they have their own specific talent, they're called. So there, there are fairies that can manipulate water, and there are fairies that can manipulate light, and there are fairies that can manipulate wind, and, and all, and Tinkerbell is a tinker fairy, so she, she can take junk and make it useful. She tinkers. And, uh, and, and this is how it works in, in the Tinkerbell world. But they all get their, their powers from the same source, which is pixie dust, of course. But just like that in a sloppy way, right? Every one of us receive our gift from the same source. We drink from the same fountain, which is the Holy Spirit, who apportions to each as he wills his giftings. You see that? So, so uh, the big point here, there's one church, there's one body, Christ is one. There's not, a, there's not a Jewish church and a Gentile church. There's not a Presbyterian church and a Baptist church and a Lutheran church. The church, there's one church that looks different maybe has different convictions, but this one church that is comprised of every single human being who has ever placed saving faith in Jesus Christ from eternity past till eternity future, one church, one body. And when one part of the body wins, the entire body wins. And when one, one part of the body hurts, the entire body hurts. 
Peter says something similar. The Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends when he was here on earth, the Apostle Peter says something similar in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you, talking to Christians, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Let those words sink into your soul. That you may proclaim the excellencies, or so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like, look at those words. Like, who are you? You're a chosen race. Like, yes, your skin color is good and a grace and a gift from God. Like, it's not just, it's not just happenstance. It's, it's designed. Like, God gave that to you as a gift to lean into that and to, to like, your heritage is a gift from God. But that's not your identity if you've placed faith in Jesus. Your true identity is that of a Christian. You're, you're, you're in Christ. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation that isn't defined by borders and boundaries and, and, and backgrounds, but defined by the fact that Jesus is our king. He's our sovereign. And he's done this in order that we may proclaim his excellencies, the one who has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like, Jesus said something similar in, in the book. Uh, we talked about it last week in, in John chapter 17 when he, when he prayed his high priestly prayer that, that we all may be one even as Christ is in the Father and the Father is in Christ, that we would be in Christ, that we would all be united together. So unity is something that should be sought for. Unity is something that should be strived for. But that's not the ultimate ends. And we'll continue reading and learning about that this morning. So continue on with me in verse 14. It says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And hold on to this one. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And we'll, we'll pause, there, pause there for a second. Just a brilliant metaphor that Paul is talking about. So he's saying, we're all familiar with, with bodies. And, and like my body is comprised of many different parts or members, but it's, one, it's only one body, right? But imagine how destructive it would be if my individual parts had wills of their own and decided that they didn't like their role. Like the foot, like I don't, I'm tired of getting walked on. I want to be admired like hair or the thumbs or like I'm sick of scrolling through Instagram. Like I quit, I'm, I'm done. Like as we grow older, like there are parts of the body that start to rebel and have a will of their own, especially knees and back. Like they're just like, no, we're not doing that anymore. Like, nope, you, no, we're, we're retired from that activity actually. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is that a hand is better at catching a Frisbee than a face. It's just easy. But try and catch a Frisbee without your eyes. And while you're doing that, film it on you and put it on YouTube and let us all watch it and enjoy it. Because we all need each part of the body. So which is better for, for catching a Frisbee? 
Well, it, it, it sort of depends. They, they, they rely upon each other. They rely upon it. It's, it's that old question, who'd win in a fight, right? So which one's better? Who'd win in a fight, a bear or a shark? Well, it depends on where the fight is. Like if the fight's in the woods, then my money's on bear. But if the fight's in the ocean, then the shark's probably going to win. Like it depends, where's your skill? What's your, which one is more necessary? Well, in order to catch a frisbee, we were playing frisbee the other night at Group in the Park, which is why this is coming out right now. And we actually learned that if you stack two frisbees on top of each other and throw them just right, then they'll just kind of go and separate and you can catch one in one hand, one in the other. The, the next logical step would be to put three frisbees, throw them all at the same time and two in the hand and one in the mouth. But you guys know that that's not going to work and we're going to end up in the hospital or at, at the dentist probably with missing teeth because hand is designed to reach and to grab and to hold, but eye is designed to track that thing and legs and feet are designed so that we can move into position to grab it. We need elbows, we need wrists, we need... And not to mention your circulatory system and all the things that God is just doing for you without you even thinking about. Like the entire body works together. It's this most incredibly complex thing that we just don't think about all the time. Like literally, I'm up here, my hands are flailing like one of those things outside of a car dealership and I don't even realize it right now. It's just because I have an Italian heritage. It's just a part of who I am, okay? But to show this in a, in a little bit more of a, a tangible way, I'm going to invite our, our worship team back up on the stage this morning. Let's give them a hand as they come up. Grateful for these guys. Love these guys. While they're making their way up, I want to draw your attention to verse 18 again. So it says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And do you realize what that means? Like, do you realize what that's saying? It's literally like, do you believe that God has crafted you with care and precision and has placed you where and when you are for a purpose? You, the way you are, to grow more into the way that Christ has designed you, to use the gifts that God has given you. But in order to show you a little, in a, in a bit of a tangible way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this, the, the band up here, starting with Jeremiah, they're going to help me out. So Jeremiah is going to help us just by, um, he's going to strum a couple of bars for us. Jeremiah, everybody. Thank you, Jeremiah. Yes. And now Hope. Hope is going to play a little bit for us. Love it. Yes. Thank you, Hope. And now Doc is going to give us a little something. All right, if I don't cut you off, I never will. Thank you, Doc. <laughs> and now Artis is going to hit us. Yes. Awesome. All right, now, artists, everybody together, click it in.
Yes. Big hand. Thank you, guys. Stay up there. So you see the point without me even saying it, but let me say it anyway. Each one of these instruments has been crafted for a purpose. And they sound a little bit differently, and they fit in individually, but the sum of the whole is much greater than the individual parts. So it wouldn't do us much good if Jeremiah took his guitar pick and started strumming on Hope's keyboard, because it's not designed for that. But if he's jealous and he's like, well, he, it's a bad analogy because he's very good at keyboard any, also. But, but if he gets jealous, God has given us incredible musicians at this church. But if he gets jealous and he says, I'm going to play keyboard and just start strumming his guitar pick along the keys, like it's not going to be something that we want to listen to. Or, or if, if artists takes his, his drumsticks and starts hitting Doc's viola, like that's not a scene that anybody's going to want to see. Because that viola was crafted with precision to make a particular sound and to be, to be useful in that way, right? And just like that, you have been carefully crafted. You have been carefully chosen by God to play a special and significant role in the making of disciples and the furthering of the kingdom. And the other part of it is, like, if Jeremiah chose to stay home this morning and just sing these songs to himself, like, he'd probably have a good time. But it wouldn't be as good as, as I know from experience, like singing along with all of you and being spurred on. There's just something unique and special about that. And certainly, we would have missed out on the blessing that, that his leadership is for us, and, and the team would have missed out on that as well. And it goes for every single one of these individuals. Because the, a hand is really useful unless it's severed from the body, at which point it just withers and dies and isn't good for anything. But when it's, when it's linked up with the rest of the body, it's, it's incredibly useful. So we'll continue reading in verse 22, I'm sorry, in verse 21. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacks it, that there is to be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so remember, if you can go all the way back with us towards the beginning of this series, one of the main concerns that Paul has for this church in Corinth is division. Like there, there seem to be factions within the church. And people are uniting around this and uniting around this and uniting around this, but there, there are just different, different factions within the church. And Paul's saying one, one of these factions seems to be the folks with those like visible, seen, like high gifts are getting greater honor than the folks with the behind-the-scenes gifts. And those folks who are behind the scenes are feeling dejected and left out. And, and like, should I even, like, I didn't get a cool gift, so uh, a cool gift. So what good am I? And Paul's saying, no. We need to fight against that with everything that we have. In our, in our fallen nature, we, we tend to place people into categories 
and we do it unintentionally, I think, but, but like we, we see people and we're like, oh, he has this particular kind of job, so here's where I kind of rank with them in the social status, and I can interact with them in this way, and, and that's, that's unholy, that's ungodly, that has no place in God's church, is what Paul is saying here. So, Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is the, the least and the servant to all. He flips things upside down on their head as he so often does. But in order to show you this again, I'm going to ask the band um, to, to, to play for us. And so, artists, if you would just click us into the same thing there. Awesome. While they're playing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just continue teaching a little bit. But one of the most important and yet most overlooked members of this team is not Jeremiah, it's not Hope, it's not Doc, it's not Artis, it's not me. One of the most overlooked members of this team is our sound guy. The sound crew are as much a part, maybe even a bigger part, of the worship team than those who are playing the instruments. Thank you, guys. <laughs> and see, you see what a mess it becomes when we can't hear each other? We need our sound people. Paul Haynes does an amazing job on sound. Sarah and Joe Malloy do an amazing job on sound. Stephen Levitt does an amazing job on sound. And, and right now, Winfield is clicking the slides so we know what to sing. Would get so overlooked, but it's so useful. It's so necessary. And that's what, that's what the apostle is saying here. Like, those parts of the body that seem to be less honorable are actually indispensable if this thing is going to function the way that God intends for it to function. And so big hand for our, for our worship team. Thank you all. Big hand for our sound crew and our AV team. Thank you guys so much. As they're coming down off the stage, as they're coming down off the stage, I want to draw your attention quickly. We're going to take a left turn and go towards the beginning of our Bibles. Just, um, you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 11, there's the story of Babel, and you may, you may have heard of it, but it's this um, once again, all of humanity trying to take, trying to usurp God's authority. So, so this interesting story, weird kind of story, but familiar story to many of us, where God tells people to go out, spread my glory, like go, be fruitful, multiply, like do awesome things. And so people all kind of gather together in this plane, and they say, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build a giant tower up to heaven, essentially saying, let's get God off the throne and do things our own way. Let's make a name for ourselves. So that, but here's the thing. They're like all united in this one cause, which like on the surface, we'd be like, yeah, unity's great. Unity's awesome. But what are we uniting around is the question, because they're uniting to dethrone God which will ultimately lead to their own destruction, their own demise. Because anytime, I don't have to convince you of this, you've seen the news, anytime we take things into our own hands, things go poorly. We destroy ourselves. And so it's an act of God's mercy, it's an act of God's grace that He confuses the languages and, and separates people so that, so that they don't unite around this ungodly cause. 
But what God did at Babel by displaying His mercy and grace, by dividing people, He has undone in Christ. He has undone the judgment of Babel in Christ. And He has empowered us by His Holy Spirit that we may be united towards Him. Towards God. Because in Him, we are a holy nation, remember. In Him, we are a new creation. We are a new kind of humanity. A a kind of humanity that isn't defined by our background. That isn't defined by common interest. That isn't defined... We're defined by the fact that Jesus Christ is our King. And we've recognized that and received His forgiveness and grace. Every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be united around the throne of God, singing holy, holy, holy. That's a guarantee. But there's a a beautiful quote here by a man named A.W. Tozer that I want to show you um, because he can say it in a way that's far more elegant and eloquent uh, than I could. He says, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are nearer in heart to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. You see what he's saying here? In the same way that you can tune 100 pianos with one tuning fork and they will be closer and and more accurately tuned than if you were to tune them to each other. In that same way, that the if we were to get all the people and gather together and say, guys, our goal is unity. Go. We couldn't come nearly as close to that goal of unity as we would if we said, guys, our goal is Jesus. Go. And as we turn our eyes off of ourselves and off of our striving for unity and turn it towards Jesus, the closer we walk in step with Him by the power of the Holy Spirit, the closer we walk to one another and we become closer and more united. Unity is not the end goal. Jesus is the end goal. One of the results of making Jesus the end goal is that unity happens. But this is unity. This is not homogeny. This is unity. This is not uniformity. And so what we cannot do is look down on anybody else's gift or, or be envious of anybody else's gift, but step into our own gift and to learn what that looks like in our lives and how we can better, better equip the church for the mission and how we can grow ourselves spiritually in the process. So we'll finish off the text here, starting in verse 27. It says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way, which Pastor Josh is going to get into next week. Come back for that in chapter 13. One of the most beautiful chapters in all of writing. I mean, just mind-blowing, mind-blowingly beautiful. It's at every wedding you've ever been to, so we kind of gloss over it like John 3.16. 
but it's shockingly beautiful. So come back next week for that. But what Paul is saying here, the apostle is saying here is, God has appointed in his church what he wants. And he doesn't write it in, but it's essentially written in. Like, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all administrators? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. So the goal is not, is not ah, like I'm behind the scenes. I, I wish I was up front. I wish I, like if you're treating the, the AV guy differently than you would treat the lead worship, uh, the, the, the worship leader, then you've missed the point. And if you, in that role of leadership, feel like you're in a, a superior position to somebody who's setting up curtains or doing, doing you know, set up stuff in the morning, then, then you've missed the point as well and you need your eyes back towards Jesus. Because in, in God's economy, nobody's better than anybody. We need to fight against these factions. But if you're trying to operate in somebody else's gifts, then you're going to become bitter and frustrated or dejected and ineffective. All of those things, by the way, the enemy loves because you're no longer a threat to him. Like God has given you gifts and I, do, like I don't want to use it because it's not that gift or I'm proud in my gift. The enemy loves both of those avenues because you're no longer a threat. So I want to ask you two, two questions to kind of diagnose your own soul, see where you're at, and you can do some work with this. I've I'm, I'm been praying that the Holy Spirit will help you see this for yourself. So question one is, are you bored with your Christianity? Are you bored with your Christianity? Like, are you desirous of more? Are you just kind of letting it happen, like just kind of going through motions? Could it be that you've despised your gift and, and you're not utilizing it and, and, and you're, you wish it was something else or... Could it be that you're not using your gift? Think about, think about things, and, and let's not overcomplicate this. Think about things that come really naturally for you. Like, do you realize that for a lot of people, it's exhausting to have a conversation? Like, for some people, that's just like, let's talk. I want to talk. I want to talk. Like, how are you? How is your wife? How are your kids? Like, how is everything? For some people, that's exhausting. So maybe if you're that type, like, I just want to talk. Like, I love being around people and they give me energy. And, like, then, then we have, there are roles for you. Like, you can, you can talk to Davis and, and serve with the, the, the host team. Like, welcome people into church. And when you're using your gift and when your gift lines up with your, with your joys and what you're naturally good at, like, you just start to thrive in it. You just start to thrive in it. Like hospitality, some people just love baking or just love making things look just right. Like for a lot of us, that's just lost on us. Like I didn't even notice that the floor had been ripped up. Like who cares? Like who knows? But like for a lot of people, that's very important and we need to make things. Like there's a role for you. Write it on your connection card. Like I want to get involved with something. But, but oftentimes it's also really difficult for you to recognize it in yourself. So it might... Because it's so naturally for you, you're like, how, did, how, like, not everybody does that? Like, I didn't realize I was unique. I just thought that that was like a normal thing. So have a conversation with people. Have a conversation with, with somebody who knows you and say, hey, where do you, 
think that I could use my gift? Like, what is my gift? How do you think I could use my, my talent? Like, administrating? Oh my gosh, I love you people. I love administrators. It's so, it's so not natural for me, but for a lot of people, like, spreadsheets are your love language, and that's, like, I, I, the body couldn't thrive without you. We love that. Whatever it is. So you start using your own unique gift. Start using your own unique gift. And, and your plateau will perhaps start to incline again for the first time in a long time. That's what happened, that's what happened to me when I started. Somebody asked me to lead worship, and I didn't want to do it, and I did it. And my plateau turned into a sheer rock face, really. So what is your gift? How can you get involved? So question two are you frustrated with your Christianity? Are you overwhelmed with the amount that you're doing? Could it be that you're, you're working out of your flesh and not the power of the Spirit? That you're not getting that res- restoration that you need by looking back to Jesus? Getting that proper motivation to look back to Jesus? Could it be that, that you're actually imposing your gift on others? Like, why can't they just do what I ask them to do? Like, that's not natural for them. They don't understand it. You need to draw a roadmap if they're actually going to do it. You, like, you need to explain things that you think are obvious. You're growing in arrogance towards your gifting. It's a, it's a dangerous place to be because that's going to lead you to burnout. That's going to lead you to exhaustion and, and frustration and bitterness. And we would hate for you to be there. So have conversations, dialogue. But instead, like the motive, can you, under, can you believe that we get to be here now? Like we get to be a part of what God is doing in the city of Boston in 2018 right now. Like this movement that, I, that I'm, I'm so sure that they're going to write books about in the future. That God is doing something crazy right now in Boston. And we get to be a part of it. Like he, he wants to use us. Like he smiles, he, he gives us gifts and smiles as he gives them to us and smiles as he watches us use them. He delights in them. So don't, don't despise your gifting, whatever it is. Delight in your gifting because your father has given it to you to delight in, to use for the building up, the building up of the church, the building up of his church, the body of Christ, and for the furthering of the kingdom, the spread of the kingdom. Like, we get to be a part of the body, whatever part it is. Don't despise it. You get to be you. It takes tons of pressure off. So we'll, we'll finish off in verse 18 again. It says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. God gave you your gift. Like, let that hit you afresh. God loves you. God sent Christ for you. God delights in you. So we start not with the gift itself, but the giver of the gift. What's he like? Is he trustworthy? Do you actually believe what the Bible says? That he has providentially and sovereignly placed you when and where and how you are for the purpose of making disciples to declare his excellencies for bringing you out of darkness into his marvelous light? 
Are you, are you cheating yourself? Are you cheating yourself by, by not stepping into the gifting that God has given to you? Because maybe you thought it was below you or, or whatever it is. Maybe it's too scary because it's not below you. It's something that you're not comfortable with. It's a little bit up here. It's going to take a step of faith to step into. I'm shirking your opportunity to grow, to move that plateau into, a, into an incline again. Don't despise your gift. Delight in your gift. There are no second-class Christians. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. It's a level ground. Whether you're, whether you're on the AV team, the setup crew, or whatever, whether you're the lead pastor of the church, God gave you your gift. It's, it's the same fountain from which it springs. So at Babel, once again, people united around this idea to take God off of his throne. But in Christ, he actually stepped off willingly, removed his crown, and picked up a cross for you. For you. He did that for you. And he died. And he rose again. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he sent us his Holy Spirit so that we can do greater things than even he did while he was here because there are more of us. And he has providentially given you your gift. Can you trust him? He's, he's united us with Christ for a purpose. He's gifted you with a purpose. Can you trust him? The answer is yes. He is very trustworthy. Please pray with me. Our Father, thank you for your mercy. Oh God, you are a Father who delights in us, his children, who he's restored through Jesus Christ. God, you are not a, a father who is far off and distant. You're not a God who, who is just begrudgingly dealing with us. You are a God who is close, a God who is, a God who is so near as to send us your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you empower us by the power of your Holy Spirit for boldness? Would you empower us for for unity in Christ? Would you empower us to take steps of faith that, that we've been nervous about taking because we, we're scared that we'll fail or we're, we'll disappoint somebody? God, would you give us the faith that we need to see that you're the one who's going to get credit for it? And if this is what you're calling us towards, then we can step out into that. God, thank you for your church here, what you're doing all over the city of Boston. Lord, there are hundreds and thousands of people right now gathered in the name of Jesus Christ in the city of Boston. And when, when I moved here 10 years ago, I couldn't find a good church, a single one. Father, what you've done in the past decade is miraculous. Lord, do not remove your hand upon it. Don't let us screw it up. But by your, by your power, Lord, would you enable us to go on to see greater things, to see more lives changed, to see individuals within this church step into their calling and thrive in Christ. God, we love you. You have done in us far greater than we could have ever asked. And you're not done. And we praise you for that. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.